Oh, hello, everybody. <clears throat> Today is Wednesday, February 11th, 2015. My name is Luke Thomas. As you can see, there's a little bit of light creeping through. I'm trying to avoid it, but I don't know. I'm not sure how to get this out of the shot, man. Uh, whatever the case, today on the live chat, we have, uh, that's probably good enough. We have a couple of matters to get to. We have uh, Hector Lombard testing positive. Hold that a little bit closer. Hector Lombard testing positive for uh, steroids. We also have some issues to revisit with Anderson Silva, uh, maybe Nick Diaz as well. Generally, PEDs in mixed martial arts, PEDs certainly in the UFC. But there's more than that. There are fights this weekend, irrespective of all the drama that's going on. So we have UFC Fight Night 60 on Saturday. I believe if today's the 11th, isn't World Series of Fighting tomorrow? It's like tomorrow or Friday. Uh, World Series of Fighting 18, Marlon Marais returns. Um, or Marais, whatever you want to pronounce it. Uh, and then, of course, Bellator 133, Pat Curran versus Daniel Vichel. Um, Chris Honeycutt coming back, which is kind of important as well. So uh, there's still, even amidst all the nonsense and uh, troubling times, there's still actually good fights to get to. And, of course, your questions as well. The best place to do that is on MMAfighting.com, uh, if you'd be so kind. When you hear the sound of the police, diet a and I mean, is this gasoline or what? Anyway, it's got caffeine, I think, so that's good enough. Um, when you hear that sound, please get on social media, whatever channels they may be, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, whatever, uh, and let folks know you're watching. That would be hugely appreciated. You can put the link of the live chat at the top. Um, okay, trying to think if there's anything else. Of course, comments that turn green get priority, yada, yada, yada. Let's go ahead and get to it, shall we? Yes, we shall. All right. Sorry, my computer. A little bit nubby today. Here we go. So bear with me just a second. Here we go. Comments loading. I think the first, oh, here we go. All right, first one. Uh, Edgar versus Faber. It's an interesting question. This seems like a really fun fight if it gets made, but is but is it any more than that? What are your initial reactions to the rumors, and what does it do for each guy at their respective points in their careers? Doesn't do much for either, except maybe for Faber. Uh, and some are saying it's set as the main event for UFC Fight Night Manila. I have not seen that confirmed. Um, but um, I, listen, they got to make some interesting fights. Edgar has nothing to do; probably wants to compete. Uh, I'm assuming this fight's at featherweight, not at bantamweight, um, although I need to have that confirmed as well. Let's just sort of say, no matter what, I don't know that's the best idea. I would rather see Faber be faced off with Dillashaw, because that's just more interesting. I know that those guys might have some reservations about it. I'm simply speaking as a fan about what is the most compelling content that they have to offer. Um, what else? Uh, in terms of Edgar, again, probably wants some regularity of competition. I think that probably has some, something to do with it. Um, this has always been kind of discussed, but I don't think it's a very winnable fight for Faber at this juncture in his career, either at bantamweight or featherweight. Um, it's not a contender fight in either place unless one guy moves or at least attempts to move in a more permanent direction. So, yeah, it's fun in terms of just mixing things up and making things happen, and I'm okay with using Faber in that context given some of the the title woes that he's had, but uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Edgar. I guess the I guess the bright side there is that Edgar, um, I would heavily favor him to win that contest, especially if it's a main event with meaning five rounds. I, I have a hard time seeing favor beating Edgar over five rounds. All right. 
Uh, I was wondering if you could pull up the top 10 rankings list for each division in the UFC and give us a number of how many of the fighters you think might be on PEDs. For example, look at the heavyweight division on a new tab and tell us you think three of the top 10, etc. I understand if you don't want to, if you have no evidence to support the numbers you believe, but it will help us a lot actually understand the amount that are there at the top of the roster that some fans may not be able to see themselves. Um, and someone says, as a journalist, I don't think he would or could do something like this. You're right. I would not do something like this. That's just, this, that's just gross speculation. You know, I'm not going to say that about, um, you know, all sort of hinting at this could be this guy or hinting it could be that guy. Either you have evidence or you don't. Right. But again, you know, we, we need to sort of harken back to the previous conversation that we had about this, about why people do this. I think we've had enough of the Band-Aid ripped off. And by the way, I mentioned this on Twitter. You know, this isn't even um, what the – everyone was like, it's what WADA does, but this is what happens when you go to the Olympics. It's not even Olympic-style testing. This is a far step down from that, okay? Uh, certainly better than what was happening in 2006 or seven. but you get the idea. There's, there's levels to this, and this is a better level than what it was, but not the highest level by any stretch of the imagination, and you're already seeing all these guys get caught, the greatest of all time popping positive and then two weeks or not even 10 days later no trace of it you know that is deeply problematic stuff deeply problematic stuff um understand what's happening here okay we live in a world where uh and we know this from other sports generally but some of these things are really magnified in mma the incentive to win is enormous um, I think all of us are in favor of the post-fight bonuses. I think sometimes we can see guys like Don Kyung Kim, not just fighting for post-fight bonuses per se, but for a general way to raise his profile and fan appeal. But generally speaking, there's not a ton of research or evidence that exists to suggest those bonuses, as they're currently structured, alter the way people compete. There are some anecdotal pieces of evidence, but I don't mean, I mean, sort of UFC-wide, year over year, what kind of impact do they have in terms of changing the way guys compete? Now, there might be other pressures that change the way guys compete. I think we can all argue, uh, I think many people would agree with the idea that there is a bit of a pressure to strike more than there used to be. There's a little bit less jujitsu, both positionally and submissions than there used to be. But the, but the real key takeaway is this. The premium on winning is enormous, simply from the standpoint of your check. Some guys who got grandfathered in from strike force, and you see this in boxing, they just get a flat amount, bang, right? That's what they get, $125,000, whatever it may be. Some guys, obviously, most guys, the overwhelming majority have it structured where it's show and win. So you have this really massive financial incentive to win. You, li- you literally double your pay. And if you double your pay, and historically speaking, it's been easy to beat the test, and you look around your peers, and you either know of guys who are using, or you're highly suspicious of guys who are using, and you've got a family to feed, and you've got one chance in this life to make an impact with your career, the choice to take performance-enhancing drugs, I'm not saying is an, is an easy one, it's not the most difficult one either. So that's the world we, we have. We have created incentives for people, massive incentives, not intentionally, not by negligence, but you know, partly the way humans respond to incentives. This is what we've done. 
So is the proportion of people, like people will say, well, how many people uh, are on PEDs? I don't know how many people are on PEDs. I think that's very difficult to say. But if you ask the question, how many are currently on it or within the last four years have taken it or maybe even ever since joining the UFC have taken it or maybe ever taken it and are currently in the UFC? So there's different ways to parse that out. How many of those would be, what what would that number be? I suspect the number would be very high. I mean, if you don't take away anything from this Anderson Silva lesson, and, you know, I mean, Lombard was, I think, people, there was always whispers. I mean, looked at his physique. The guy looked like Hercules. Silva did not. And so I think there was a, a sense about, well, maybe this was a rehabilitative thing or whatever the case may be. But, you know, the fact that he had tested positive and then 10 days later it's wiped clean is, is, is a problem. That's a problem. If you show up on a crime scene and your fingerprints are in two of the rooms – uh, on various pieces of, you know, furniture, walls, whatever. And then they come back to the crime scene just to see if there's anything that they missed 10 days later and your fingerprints are wiped clean. Something happened, right? There was tampering right there, right? You know what I mean? Like, this is not, you're, you're, those, those two steroids don't show up by accident in WADA-accredited laboratories. It doesn't happen, you know. Mistakes are made in labs generally, but not these kinds, and they are not of this scale. And then to be gone in 10 days, that's a problem. And it was something else that sort of occurred to me, by the way, about Anderson Silva. Um, you know, listen, I, I don't know how people, people were asking last week, like, can we look back at his career and now question everything? I don't know. I don't know if that's fair or not. I really don't have a good answer for you. But here's what I would say. Uh, let's see. You know, what was he? 30 plus, 31, 32, maybe even 33. When he came, I, mean, I don't think he was 33, 31, 32. When he came to the UFC, he was a very, very good fighter, and he obviously was a highly respected striker. But, you know, he was coming off – I mean, he had done some great things in pride. The Carlos Newton knockout, obviously, was tremendous, and uh, a bunch of other things. The cage rage wins, uh, you know, the back elbow on Tony Frickland, and you can go on and on, the beating Lightning Lee Murray and things like that. Uh, he, was a, he was a really well-respected striker, obviously. Um, and he's worked on the other parts of his game, pretty, pretty dedicated too. But you mean to tell me that – this guy became the best fighter of the, of his ever, certainly of his generation, in his mid to late 30s. That sound a little fishy to you? Sounds a little fishy to me. I mean, you don't see this kind of athletic performance in, in other sports almost at all. Very rarely. Very rarely. Guys who are typically, the, especially for the guys who are the very best, they typically start a little bit earlier. Now, are these questions fair? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just used it this one time. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But I just sort of want to point out to you, like, if you don't take away anything from the Anderson Silva situation um, other than what what his testing positive underscores is that use is either currently or at least previously among fighters has been rampant, then there's nothing else to take away. That, that is the key takeaway here. If it's all the way at that level, all the way at that level, then trust me, there is a trickle down. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, here's a sort of a relatively similar question. Do you think the resurgence guys in MMA – wait, 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 what? Do you think the resurgence guys at MMA are prime suspects for possible PED use? 
as much as people would want to deny it, a guy like Lawler, who at 35 moves down a weight class, decimates everyone in his path, fights for a title twice and is now champ. Also, Rumble, I mean, look at the guy and his way his body has transformed over time. Again, I'm not going to um, – unless there's direct evidence about a guy, it's irresponsible. But, again, I think what I would say is if you want to have healthy skepticism about people's performances generally, this is the state we're in. For good or for bad, and there's probably a lot of bad to it, this is the state we're in. Is there any evidence to suggest, any clear, definable evidence, other than, uh, to suggest that Rumble and Lawler or anybody else has done this? No. And until such time, you can't. But certainly, I think we all need to cast a skeptical eye about certain kinds of achievements that we're seeing that defy what we typically understand about the human experience and, and athletic performance. Good question. Mighty Mouse versus Horiguchi way too soon. Or do you think it was inevitable that Horiguchi was going to get the shot anyway, given the state of the flyweight division? There really aren't any other options unless Dodson or Formiga uh, are healthy again. Yeah, I mean, I just, I understand why they have to do it. They got to keep Johnson busy. He has an obligation to defend his title. Contenders as such have a responsibility to challenge him for it. This is the way the division moves forward. But Horiguchi just isn't, I mean, he's still, you can tell, like rounding out portions of his game. This is not a guy like Dodson who's basically added all the skills he's going to add and can tweak a thing here and a strategy there and a game plan here or can, you know, slightly, slightly alter things. Horiguchi has major gaps he has to overcome. And he, and he very well might. Uh, this is not saying that he's locked in place. In fact, it's saying quite the opposite, that many of his skills or understanding of how to compete is very nascent. Um, yeah. It's just not – I feel bad for Mighty Mouse because that's the state of the division. They don't want to crown the guy, and this is how you build it. But talk about growing pains, serious, serious growing pain. Horiguchi, you know, this is why I wish Lineker was – this is why I'm saying everyone was like, it's not the UFC's job to help Lineker make weight. No, but it sure is in their interest because Lineker, I don't think he beats Mighty Mouse either, but that's a much better sell than Horiguchi. All right. Habib versus Cowboy essentially set for UFC 187 co-main event. Could you break it down? Who do you think wins? I am definitely going to favor Habib Nurmagomedov. I don't think he beats Anthony Pettis, at least not in the current state that he's in. Um, but I have a hard time him. You know, he strikes into the clinch. He can level change on a shot. Once he's on you, he's like white on rice. He uh, is always one step ahead of you in grappling. He has fantastic submission defense. He has good submissions himself. He has a good ground and pound. He's not afraid to exchange. He's durable. There's really just nothing I can see from Cowboy, who is incredibly talented, obviously. We know his ability. But there's nothing I can really point to and say, man, this, this is going to be a major problem for Habib. You know, he, obviously he can land a shot, but that sort of goes for anybody in any mixed martial arts contest, particularly at the UFC level. Like, what would you really pinpoint? Step through knees? Sure, it might land on Habib. He just, draw, he just drives right through it. You know, he's at an age where he can absorb shots like that. And his defense isn't great, but it's not bad either. It's certainly serviceable. And when you add in – remember, after, what the, the key to understanding Nurmagomedov is the completeness of his grappling. He has all the positions mastered. So underneath, on top, he has uh, great traditional wrestling styles 
you know, or attacks, I should say, for MMA, single leg, double leg, high crotch lifts, um, low singles if he needs them, um, single leg sweeps he's got. He also has throws. He's got Harai Goshi. He's got Osotogari. He's got Kochigari. He's got uh, Harai Goshi. He's got it all. Uchimata, he's got it all. And he can do it from the clinch. He can do it from wizards. He's got body lock trips. He's got inside trips. He's got outside trips. He's got step around throws. And then, so he's got this complete array of takedowns from outside, from inside, all different. Once he gets a hold of you, he's just always one step ahead of you. Offensive arsenal. Habib Nurmagomedov is a bad MFer. He's a seriously bad MFer. And I just feel like we always talk about Don Cerrone's ground game. People forget about it. We really respect it. It's very good. And I absolutely respect it. I truly do. And I've really made a point to talk about it. I think his guard is phenomenal. I think he's got great MMA jiu-jitsu. I think he... I often talk about guys who have great guards and maybe not great takedown defense, and I usually point to Carlos Condit, and maybe the, maybe the guy we should be pointing to is Donald Cerrone. Even with all that said, Nurmagomedov is another level beyond that. You know, it's just um, the reason why I think Pettis has a chance is because I think Pettis' defensive fundamentals are strong. I think sometimes Nurmagomedov has a hard time put, putting guys away, uh, even though he can, he can, can positionally control them. Um, and the key about Anthony Pettis, which I think was really underscored in that Gilbert Melendez fight, is he gets guys to panic and make bad choices after hurting them with his strikes. Either he hurts them and then they crumble, or he hurts them and they change what they were going to do. And when they change what they were going to do, they make an inferior choice out of desperation or immediacy. And that's when Anthony Pettis just rolls on you. And so I think, you know, again, I think that Nurmagomedov's striking defense is good, serviceable, but someone like Pettis, who is so, the timing is so good and the accuracy is so impeccable, that's going to be a tough match for Nurmagomedov. But Nurmagomedov, I can also see taking maybe a couple of rounds uh, controlling him. You know, So we'll see. Uh, on Twitter, Front Row Brian reported that the real reason the UFC didn't con- contract with USADA, USADA, is because 70% of the anonymous samples they sent in came back dirty. Do you have any knowledge of this? I do not. I do not. Uh, I'm not saying it's true or false, but I, I just don't have any information about it. Um, in, all, in light of all these PED poppings, is Vitor the unsung hero through this? Why would he be a hero? Um, he's got company, maybe, but he's not a hero. True or false? Routsy Zingano goes to at least three rounds. I'll say true. Mighty Mouse finishes Horoguchi. I will definitely say true. Weidman beats Belfour, Machida, Rockhold, and Jacare. Um, I'll say true. But the Rockhold one, I don't know about. A top five fighter in each division pops for a PED of some sort this year. Maybe not every division, but maybe several of them. A champion pops for a PED in the next two years. That's a tough one. I'll say false, though. Stricter punishment. What would you say would be an appropriate punishment that would help to minimize the rise in PED use? I just can't take to hear another person testing positive. Well, you need to because it's going to happen, and probably soon. So there's that. Someone was asking me this on Twitter yesterday. 
the UFC is in a very tough position. They do not have a lot of good options. Let's think about why. For example, I work for Glory. Why isn't Glory being asked to do the same kind of testing that um, UFC is or World Series of Fighting or even Bellator? Well, in the case of Glory and World Series of Fighting, the answer is pretty simple. They can't afford it. Now, you could say, well, um, Bellator could afford it because they're backed by Viacom, and maybe that's true, but on some level, um, Viacom is trying to make Bellator independently financially solvent. That would get in the way. You could at least, you could, I'm not saying that's a great argument, but you could at least argue that. Um, and then you could also argue more simply that um, imagine if Bellator did do all that kind of testing, it wouldn't really matter. The 90% of the best fighters on earth would still be not under that regimen. So there's just not a huge incentive for those guys to do it or a capability, right? So, but, but UFC doesn't have that luxury. And why? Because they have the financial resources to do it. They are in some ways, I hate to use the word victim, but they're a victim of their own success in this regard. Because they make so much money and because they've been so successful, there is now an impetus put on them to go the extra mile financially to fill in the gaps for anti-doping that commissions can't do. That's one part of the problem. I think the other part of the problem is... And this is actually to the UFC's point in reference to the fighter lawsuit. Um, they don't really have a monopoly. I mean, they do in some ways, I guess, maybe kind of, sort of, um, or monopsony or whatever argument you want to make about that. But here's the point. If you get cut from MLB, I suppose you can go to Japanese baseball or something else like that. But if you get kicked out of Major League Baseball in the union, let's say, kicks you out as well, where are you going to go? If you get kicked out of the NFL for, let's say, you know, repeat offenses related to performance-enhancing use, where are you going to go? Arena League? You're going to go play in Canadian Football League? You know, next to Ocho Cinco? It's the, there's nowhere else to go. If you get cut from UFC, Bellator, backed by Viacom, will snatch you up immediately. So UFC has a real hard problem with creating a punishment structure that... Uh, mirrors what other leagues have the capability of doing, at least in terms of the nuclear option. Um, and also I think that just the nature of their brand, like, you know, because they're a brand and because they're a, you know, badly seeking mainstream attention kind of brand and because they've been, as I mentioned before, so financially successful, there are certain best practices they are asked to maintain. There are brands in boxing like Top Rank and Golden Boy and Gary Shaw Productions and everything else. And maybe Top Rank and Golden Boy could afford it. I don't think Gary Shaw could. But they're not asked to uphold those kinds of standards because they're not so brand forward. Top Rank is a functioning organization. Um, uh, Golden Boy is a functioning organization. But they don't have, there's not nearly the same amount of impetus put on them, even if they still have the same kind of financial capability, simply because they don't, as brands, aspire to level themselves with other brands that have certain expectations and best practices. They have naturally kept the brand at a more uh, skeletal level, but as a consequence, less is asked of them. The UFC brand is supposed to be a very powerful brand, and it is a very powerful, meaningful brand. And it's supposed to be one that they want put on par with um, NFL and MLB and NHL. 
But when you do that, you raise your visibility. And when you raise your visibility, you raise expectations. And when you raise expectations, these sorts of things come along. So I don't think in any way UFC trying to grow the brand is a mistake or trying to make as much money is a mistake. But they have reached a level now where maybe relative to their MMA combat sports peers, they have outsized and outstripped expectations of them that uh, are what could be conceived as, as unfair. But it's this is how it has happened for them. And, and, and even though they've placed themselves, at least in theory, alongside the other major sports leagues, they're still in combat sports. And I, and I guess what I mean by that is it's still a combat sports dynamic. They don't have the same ability to cut guys and let them go. So the UFC is in a real bad position. They're in a really, 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 really tough position. It's true. You know, I, again, I, I, you just have to say their situation in combat sports is totally without precedent. This is a completely new frontier for combat sports to have this kind of pressure put on an organization um, as involved in this kind of sport as we have. So here's my thought on this. Everybody wants more stick and not a lot of carrot. I don't think that's the right way to go. You suspend a guy, you suspend a guy, and you hurt yourself in the process. You cut a guy, and you cut a guy, and you hurt yourself in the process while helping your competitor. At least with the suspension, you're not helping your competitor as such. These are not really solutions to me. Moreover, even if you get more punitive, the way in which we've structured and emphasized winning in in the UFC and in combat sports generally, because Bellator does this too, World Series of Fighting does this too, uh, which I'll explain in just a minute, you've still created the exact same incentives. You just made the penalty worse. That probably will weed out some, but what's going to happen is a lot of guys are still going to do it. And they're going to get caught, and you're going to have these massive punishments on them. People are still going to take risks. What you have to do is find a way to make steroids not work, and they do work. But here's what I mean. You need to incentivize not not using upward, not downward. In other words, you're trying to say, let's incentivize these guys not to do it by hammering them. And I'm saying, let's incentivize them not to do it by rewarding them. So here's what I mean. I've seen some people being like, oh, let's give them a test clean bonus. But that doesn't work either because they'll just try and beat the test all the time, which is exactly what you have now. Again, some might use less, but I don't think that works. I think it's a little bit different. Look, what's one area we can say, I mean, maybe UFC doesn't agree with this. They probably don't agree with this. But I think many of us would agree, fighter pay is not that great. I think it's great for some. I think it's not so great for most, if not many. Um, not bad, exactly. Not bad. And I, you know, I don't think Michael Bisping makes a bad living. I don't think Daniel Cormier makes a bad living at all. But maybe not what it could be or should be. Maybe we can change that. Maybe we can say, listen, and this is just an idea that I'm spitballing. It's the one that's been circulating in my head. And, and I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm saying what might, in terms of whether the UFC adopts it, but what might work. Here's an idea that maybe is worth at least considering, and you can give me feedback on it. Rather than just saying to your punishment and your ban for life, this these to me is like okay, just send them to Bellator. Do you see Scott Coker's interview with uh, with uh, with uh, John Nash? He was like, "Yeah, this is a commission thing," which is like what Dana basically said in two thousand seven. They're not going to do extra testing over in Bellator, and someone can hammer, maybe should hammer Coker and Bellator for it, but they're not gonna. So this idea, like, oh, we'll ban from the UFC, great. You're just handing things over to their competitor. Doesn't so, and you're not stamping out use because they're just going to go to a place that test, gets tested at Indian casinos. 
Let's do it the other way. If you voluntarily enroll in a year-round uh, out-of-competition testing by a third-party, VADA, USADA, something like that, we'll pay for it in the UFC. Not only that, we'll do some extra things. Number one, we will change your contract. No longer will you have show and win money. You'll just have guaranteed money. Guaranteed money. We're not going to create an extra incentive for you to cheat by making winning so paramount that it doubles your earnings. We're just going to give you earnings. Now, you have to be a part of this program, but we'll do that for you. On top of that, not only will we do that, not only if you enroll in this year-round out-of-competition testing program by Avada or USADA or something like that, which we'll pay for, we'll change the nature of your contract to have nothing but guaranteed money. And on top of that, we will allow you to augment the money you make on our Reebok deal. We will allow you two additional sponsors of your choice. Now, we have to agree to them, but, you know, uh, maybe they wouldn't allow Dynamic Fastener, but they would allow maybe, or, you know, a, com a competing brand, but they might allow, you know, people who are sponsored by various, um, you see a lot of food products that people are, are sponsored by, or maybe they would allow a, a Dynamic Fastener or, you know, something along those lines. Um, you would allow two additional sponsors to be added to your Reebok uniform. And you could, you can, we'll approve them, you know, so they don't conflict with the Reebok deal. You can't have Hayabusa on there or something, but we'll allow you to make extra money on top. And there might be other financial incentives you get as well. If you're a part of this program, we'll pay you to show up to media. We'll pay you to do press conferences. We'll pay you to do Q&As. We'll pay you to be parts of media tours. We'll, we'll, we'll include you on the Ultimate Fighters. We'll do uh, John Anik's Ultimate Insider at your place. You find all these ways so that they're paid for doing their job that doesn't put a, a massive, onerous, absurd pressure on winning. Now, look. Are guys going to take up that program and still cheat? Yes. There will always be a measure of cheating. But I think the idea that I'm trying to drive home is this whole idea of let's hammer them, let's ban them. I think this is totally unrealistic. I think you're just going to have a punitive system that doesn't really stamp out use. I think it makes much more sense to say, where can we improve things in fighters' lives? What is missing right now? Fighter pay could be better. And even if you don't raise the, the, the level of fighter pay, because look what the UFC would do. If they guaranteed your money by, by in getting in a voluntary program, they're not really paying you much more than they ordinarily would be. Now, if you lost, okay, there's a little bit more there. It's not a, tr it's not a tremendous cost extra. And by the way, if you're augmenting off your Reebok deal, that's not, that's, that's not coming out of their pocket. You're getting that from somebody else. These are not tremendous costs, but it's allowing you to make money in ways that other guys wouldn't be. And it's incentivizing you to get into this program. Now, you have to create structures about the program. What if guys fail in the program? Do you get kicked out? Is there a way to get back in? These are a lot of complicated questions. I understand that. but And maybe you have a better idea out there. But that's what I want you to think about is less stick and much more carrot. And to me, fixing fighter pay is a great way to get guys uh, incentivized to do things cleanly. Not just because, oh, it's more money to do things cleanly, but because... You're actually reducing the mechanism by which guys are fervently seeking. Oh, I have to win to get this money. Well, no, you can actually lose and get the same amount of money because we are guaranteeing it. We're going to let you get your Reebok deal. We're going to let you do things that these guys won't get involved in. And if you're clean and you want to make money that way, it is a fantastic opportunity for you. Luke, do you think there's any sport that requires you to be in better all-around physical condition than MMA? I don't know. There are certainly other sports that uh, require you to do 
other things, you know, running ultra marathons or triathlons and, and maybe that, but you know, our triathlon sports, I mean, I suppose they are, it's, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's competing when you're competing for fitness, right? Like the, the CrossFit games, who's the fittest man on earth? Uh, I suppose that, but if you mean like actual sports, um, the MMA is definitely gonna be the top of the list or, or near it. Uh, hey, Luke, the glory card that you worked last weekend, what are your thoughts on Iron Mike Tyson and some of his interactions you have with him? What did you think about some of the analysis he provided on several fighters striking? What were your thoughts on him as a person overall? Um, you know, listen, Mike Tyson's had a complicated life. I think he's made a lot of mistakes in his life. But I also feel like um, if you've ever paid attention to anything he's done in, in, the, in the last chapter of his life, he has been hugely repentant for the mistakes that he has made. Um, in, in the case of the unfortunate rape, uh, you know, which I still think there is some evidence to suggest that maybe he didn't get quite the justice that he deserved. But either way, um, he paid his debt to society. I don't think he's in any way a threat to society. I think he's had a lot of trouble in his life. I don't. I think that he is uh, tried to be as forthright about the mistakes that he's made. I think I've forgiven him for just about everything, personally speaking. And maybe I, I gather that some people have it. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of chance to talk to him. I didn't really want to bother him because everybody and their brother was in his face. Um, but when I talked to him, he was very friendly. Um, had mitts like you can't believe. I mean, his hands were, I think, were bigger than Rico's. They were gigantic, uh, at least thick, you know. Um, he seemed great. You know, listen, I don't think he knows a whole lot about kickboxing. Um, not that I'm an expert either. But I thought the analysis he gave was sort of in, in his wheelhouse about which guys were using power a little too much or, or, or what, what effect it was having. You know, things that he can understand about the striking arts that uh, he could then relate to kickboxing without, you know, necessarily getting into positional details or combination details. So I thought, you know, for the for what he knew, he didn't try to overextend or he didn't try to play it under. Uh, I interviewed Evander Holyfield, and I thought that Mike knew much more than him. Um, you know, that Evander's some idiot either. I don't mean to suggest that, but I just mean I definitely think Mike pays a lot of attention to combat sports and, and for the level at which he's been exposed I think he's got, you know, fair amount to offer. Mike's cool, man. Mike was, and I, and I introduced him this way, you know, Mike is one of the icons of the 20th century in terms of sports. I don't see how you could possibly deny it. And I know some people still have some issues with him about a lot of the mistakes he's made in his past, and that's okay. You know, you have a, you have a right to. Um, he, I, I've had long discussions about it with family and friends, and, and I feel I'm in a comfortable place to say I've, I've forgiven him for the mistakes he's made. I think he's been sincere in, 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 in that in large part, and, and yeah, it was cool. It was a it was a true true thrill to meet him, man. It was a true. Th- you know, it's funny. We were sitting there, and uh, <laughs> you know, Rico was supposed to come out and be all like calculating and and you know sticking the jab out and frustrating Arrow when they came out just bombing on each other. And Mike was like like this, and he bumped me on the shoulder. And I'm not going to say exactly what he said, but I'll give you the, a version of it. He like bumped me on the shoulder, and he goes like not whispering exactly, but like leaning over to speak to me. He's like. These two MFs are huge, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Uh, Luke, in the scope of things, Anderson Silva's second pre-fight drug test, the one that came 10 days later, came back as clean, which was done 10 days later after the original pre-fight test in which he popped hot for two banned substances. What is the nature of us waiting on the B sample test? I don't know. What exactly will that tell us? That will tell us whether or not the initial sample collected did, in fact, have two steroids in it. Uh, that test was done 10 days after he got caught. Just tell us that the drug cycle out of a system within the time of the original one. That is correct. That is certainly my read on it, but that's my opinion. Um, 
yeah, that, that'd be my opinion. Yes. Um, other, other note, by the way, here's the unfortunate part that Zufa also has to mention. So I talked about how their brand, their, you know, their expectations rise as they place themselves along these other sporting peers and the fact that they have the money to provide all this and things like that. Um, the other part is that they're based out of Las Vegas, fight capital of the world, where medical records are public record. Not the case in New Jersey, where everything would be private. What would we really know about this situation if all these fights had taken place in New Jersey? What would we really know? We, I don't know that we would ever have heard about John Jones. I don't know that we would have ever heard about Nick Diaz. Maybe we would have. Um, you know what I mean? Like, how much of this would have been a much less of a big deal if it would have been in New Jersey versus Nevada? And you got to wonder. Uh, is there now going to be an effort, you know, UFC petitioned and I think successfully had laws changed in Florida to keep financial information related to events kept private, ticket sales, gate receipts, that kind of thing. Are they going to do that? Are they going to try and, you know, lobby to have some laws changed in Nevada to keep, you know, to turn these medical records from public information to, to private medical information? Um, because part of the reason that we know all this stuff is that it's public record. Uh, that's, a, that's a unique thing. We will never know how a fighter would have performed if he had not used PEDs, but is it possible that those fighting styles that are more heavily reliant on a fighter's physical attributes derive a greater benefit from PEDs? I have no difficulty seeing how a fighter like Hector Lombard, who relies on explosiveness, speed, and physical strength, would derive a greater benefit from PEDs than someone like Nick Diaz, Rory McDonald, or Anderson Silva. Uh, it really depends. There's not such one thing as a PED. Some are for aesthetics. Some are for recovery. Some are for explosiveness. Some are for all manner of different things. They have a vast amount of different designer steroids and standard ones as well. It really depends on your need. But I would say, as I would say, it's less about what 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 Lombard would be using him in, using them in the case that you're mentioning. I would argue it's much more a case of um, maybe 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 what Anderson was using in this, this past time, which is recovery. Recovery is huge, 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 huge in the sport. Really big. I would say it's much more likely that that's what you need. So you can stay in the gym. So you can continue to train. So you don't feel the effects of aging. So you don't feel the soreness. So you don't um, have injuries linger as long. That's how you get better. That's how you stay healthy. That's how you get up for a fight. Because you have the physical confidence in your body to know it will perform at the level which you want. Uh, hypotheticals pick a winner. McGregor versus Cowboy 155. Cowboy. Edgar versus Dillashaw at 135. Hard to say unless I see Edgar first at 135. Warren versus Moresh. Um, Moresh. Habib versus Shields at 170. Shields is too big. Weidman versus Rashad at 205. I'll take Weidman. Melendez versus Mendez at 145. Um, probably Mendez. Rumble versus Miocic at 245. Man, if Miocic can take the best that Dos Santos can offer, I would take Miocic. In light of Hector Lombard's failed drug test and the cancellation of his fight with Roy McDonald, I have to wonder about the financial ramifications of all these failed drug tests. With what I have to imagine will be a continuous stream of failed tests and subsequent suspensions, would it be in the UFC's best interest to adopt a strict drug testing policy 
such as the one you outlined. I've already been over this. Everyone talks about these drug programs like a deterrent. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think you deter through incentivizing um, transparency. You got to make transparency more worth it than than use. That's how you got to do it. It's it's oh, just kids caffeine free dagger. I really believe that's the trick. There have to be some penalties in the structure that I've outlined before. Everyone's gonna be like, oh, you just want to reward people? No, but I want to make rewarding such a component that it's so appealing that guys do that. You know, guys who aren't in that program, you know, they will let that speak for itself. Because you know guys like Kennedy would sign up for it like that. Oh, Kennedy's got guaranteed money. Oh, Kennedy can get two sponsors, three sponsors, whatever it is, on his on his person. You know, Kennedy's testing clean the whole time. I, I think that would be a, a huge financial incentive. And guys wouldn't be so worried, like, well, I'm going to this belt and I don't know if this guy's using. Who do you care if you're using? You're getting all this extra money as a consequence. Who wins? Dodson, Dillashaw, two. Probably Dillashaw. Mighty Mouse Barrow. Man, I might even say Mighty Mouse. Faber versus Edgar. Edgar. DC versus Weidman. I'd say Weidman. Mendez versus Lamas. Um, I'm going to say Mendez. Pettis versus Aldo. Pettis. McGregor versus Cerrone. I've already been on this. Cerrone. Benson versus Wonderboy. I would still pick Wonderboy. And Bisping versus Nick Diaz. I'd pick Bisping. Can UFC survive? Luke, is there any evidence to suggest all of the recent scandals within the Fox, excuse me, within the UFC, canceled fights, drug tests, lawsuits, have hurt their bottom line? Um, not in the short run. We'll have to see in the long run. It seems reasonable that with all these bad press, major sponsorships, and even the Fox deal could be in jeopardy. I don't think that's true at all. I'm wondering at what point this affects the business to the point where we have to be concerned about the UFC, at least in its current form, no longer existing. We're not even remotely close to that. I think a lot of this is hemming and hawing, to be perfectly honest. I'm not saying that these things can't eventually lead to that and that you can ignore them. But, you know, and the NFL is in a very different scenario. But, the, I mean, look at the year the NFL had in the press with – the way things went with um, Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson and Goodell's fumbling of it and everyone and their brother calling for his firing. And what happened? The Super Bowl was the most watched program this past one in uh, American television history. You know, all this nonsense about like from and I'm, you know, part of I'm part of media. But like if you wonder why Goodell has you know, just doesn't give an F. Uh, if you wonder why Goodell treats the media like ants, it's because we are ants. Going on the roster, do you think Bantamweight has one of the best, if not the best crop of upcoming prospects? Aljamain Sterling, Pedro Munoz, Thomas Almeida, Chris Holsworth, Mitch Gagnon, Cody Garbrandt, Rob Font. Rob Font's a beast. Russell Doan. Uh, Oka Sasaki, Michinori Tanaka. Goddamn, what a murderer's row of future contenders. Great point. Uh, Bantamweight is really, really coming along now. Flyweight's still got a long way to go. Featherweight's great at the top. Um, but yes, I think I think, and I think think pointed this out maybe a couple of weeks ago. Bantamweight and middleweight are really kind of heating up right now, especially at least at the top. 
time difference. Do you think the difference between the USA and other countries from Europe and the Middle East play a factor in why the sport of MMA isn't as popular as it is in North America? Yeah, of course. You can't air. I mean, part of the pitch with Fight Pass was that we are going to be able to air fights in times in countries that make sense for them rather than, you know, uh, now Australia is a bit different. I think fans have gotten accustomed to UFC at their unusual time they have there. But, you know, uh, asking countries, and they do this with Pacquiao in, in, in uh, the Venetian Macau, but, you know, coming up Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and things like that, fighting at noon on a Sunday, they, they want to be able to ho- show fights in a way that makes sense for those local countries. The question is, is that really doable on a broad scale? I would submit to you that on a broad scale, it's not. On an individual scale, here and there, it probably is. Age testing. Anderson, Fitch, and Lombard are 39, 36, and 37. If mass testing isn't doable, could random testing under 35 and mandatory testing 35 and plus be a decent middle ground? Certainly better than what we currently have. Sure. Because if you think about it, remember the guy who died in Texas? Sammy uh, Was it Sammy Vasquez? I think was his name. Um there was discussions because he was, I think, 35 or older, and there should have been additional medical screenings because of that. And so if we're going to have additional medical screenings for people, you know, what is your blood pressure? Um, give us a give us a, a more up-to-date CAT scan. Give us more thorough blood work. If we're going to ask that of guys 35 and up, maybe we should also take seriously the idea that these are guys who are desperately going to be holding on to their careers. New commentating team. I think the Rogan-Goldberg team has run its course. Goldberg drops inane lines out of nowhere, and Rogan seems to be Captain Obvious. I know that he has even talked about stepping down sometime. Your recent picture with Morrow and Stephen Quadros got me to thinking. I reminisce about the Pride days, and these two leave me with so many fond memories. Who would be your team to replace Rogan and Goldberg, Ronaldo, Quadros, Florian, Stan? I think, you know, uh, any of those guys would be great. Um, Morrow and Stephen are great. Um, and there's a lot to learn from both those guys. True thrill and honor, I got a chance to work with them. Uh, if you're asking me in the UFC who my favorite like B team is as such, I think Dan Hardy, John Gooden's pretty good, but I really I would really point to Brian Stan, John Anik. I just think they have a great dynamic. I think Brian is a tremendous commentator. I wonder how DC would be in the booth. I wonder how Dominic Cruz would be in the booth. I still think there's room for future innovation, but um, but yeah, that's that's sort of who my B team is. I also think, you know, um, Michael Schiavello is great. Pat Miletic is great. All, there's a lot of good commentating out there that when it didn't used to be. What's in collusion between the UFC and the NSAC? Do you think? Uh, Melendez versus Alvarez. How do you see this fight going? And is it worthy of a co-main on a big pay-per-view or a Fox headliner? Um, I see Alvarez losing to Melendez pretty handily. I just see Melendez outworking him. And I think Alvarez kind of fades and fights a little bit. I don't think he gets tired exactly. But I, I think he loses focus about urgency. And I think he lets guys who are really a good. I mean, Michael Chandler is very aggressive and had, I thought he won the second fight um, with Alvarez. 
thought he won the third fight with Alvarez. Did he fight a third fight? No. I thought he won the second fight. Did he? I can't even remember now. Um, whatever. I thought I thought that the point being is this. Michael Chandler had um, was much closer to Alvarez, not so much in outright skill, but his hustle and his urgency and his wrestling really facilitated um, him gaining ground on Alvarez. And I think someone like Melendez, who is much more polished than Chandler, would give him a lot of problems. Let's see. Can the UFC survive? I think the UFC will be just fine. If the UFC has any problem, yes, this PED stuff is a, is a PR nightmare for them. Yes, they have to do something about it. They can't just ignore it. But I think the bigger reality is injuries is a much bigger problem. Because ultimately, there's things they can do about the PED problem that make this a little more tenable. Um, the injury problem is very difficult to fix. I truly think of all the problems that injury problem is like the biggest existential problem. It's the one that no one saw coming for everyone who thought they were, the, you know, and all of MMA, including media, who thought they were the smartest guy in the room. No one saw this really happening at this scale with this kind of impact. It's not clear what's causing it. It's not clear how to fix it. And even if there were some solutions to fix it, it's not clear how uh, uh, accessible they are. You know, the UFC owes so many fights and so many people are asking why are they haven't fights on at um, Valentine's Day. Why is there a fight? And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm super excited about the fight coming to Fairfax. 10 a.m. start time on Fight Pass. Bro, you are speaking my language. I'll be done by 7, 8 p.m. that night. I can go out that night. To me, that is like <laughs> that is like a Saturday night where I can go out and I watched UFC and I covered the event. Woo, bro. That I mean, this is this is this is what I've been asking for my whole life. Um, so I'm not complaining. But if you're asking, hey, why are they having a 10 a.m. start time on the East Coast? Hey, why is there? It's because they have to put on so many events, either for contractual obligations or simply from a calendar, just to give these guys enough rotation to make the make the bigger fights that they want to put on. Metamora 6, when is an appropriate time to be concerned it may not happen? Good question. I talked to some folks behind the scenes. I have nothing I can report. What I'm hearing, maybe June. I'm hearing June, maybe, for Metamora 6. Um, but that's not in any way confirmed. Where is Gunnar Nelson? Do you have any news? Do you know what we can expect to see him fight? No, I do not have any news. Oh, uh, here's something I want to share with you. So, uh, did some digging by the Nick Diaz thing. Talked to a lot of people. Here's the best evidence that I have. I have it on good authority that I don't know exactly when he... I don't have a clear timeline of use, but here is what I am told very clearly by people who know him very well and were around him. Nick Diaz did not smoke the day of the fight. Nick Diaz also did not smoke the day of the weigh-in. Um, it's not clear about what happened before that, about when he, he may have not smoked a week out, but I know at least, at least those two days he did not smoke. Okay. I, I mean, this has been communicated to me in a pretty clear way. Um, if that's the case that he used out of competition. Okay. And, and my point being is you see people out there going, well, um, he must have popped so high on this piss test that it must mean that he used. No, 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 no. Science is what I'm asking for. That is not science. 
That is your speculation. That is your rough estimate. That is your conjecture. What does the science say? The science says you can't tell with a urinalysis, particularly for someone who might be a habitual user. And he's not smoking that dirt weed you buy in an alley behind 7-Eleven. Dude's got a prescription. I bet he gets dank. Okay? I mean, it must stick to his fingers like sticky, like crazy glue. All right? And so if that's the case, you know, you've got Nick Diaz upholding his end of the bargain in terms of what he isn't allowed to do, is it is not allowed to do, and you don't have the NSAC doing their end of the bargain. To me, everyone's like, oh, it's the weed thing. It's the third time he popped. You can't tell me he's broken the, the rule one time. One time, you can't tell me that. You can't. You physically cannot tell me that. You scientifically cannot tell me that. Prove it. Prove to me he did that. Oh, well, he failed the, your analysis. Oh, you mean the test that doesn't tell us anything? For the purposes related to the, the regulations you have on the book? Great. What else do you not have? Okay. So this idea that, like, well, Diaz popped three times. Not in my book, he didn't. He upheld his end of the bargain, so far as you know. Prove he didn't uphold his end of the bargain. That, is that really so much to ask? Prove, just prove it. Right? I don't see what's so hard. I mean, is that is that not the fairest thing in the world? All I'm asking you to do is if you are accusing this man of doing the wrong thing, just prove it. I, everyone focuses on, listen, the, the, the steroid use is a much more serious problem, but the Diaz situation just underscores the laziness of that operation. Just the, the, the unwillingness to truly do the protective work. Uh, it's, 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 it's baffling to me. UFC Fighter Relations. Lombard is the latest in a growing line of fighters who are discovering changes to their scheduled fights via the media rather than being told directly by the UFC. I am looking into the story. I will get back to you when I have better information. He never gave the results because no one asked. Look, the NSAC says they never gave the results of Lombard's test because no one ever asked. Do you know why they have so many communicated results now? Because people file information requests. This commission is not going to go out of their way. I mean, they're going to punish people who break the rules. I don't, I don't think they're that bad, but they're not, they're not going to go out of their way to publicize these findings. Legal action. I mean, you can, but but you know, we, you know, we've, we've seen, seen other other portions, portions of the, of the uh, Nevada, Nevada government operating on the other one. So, so yes, yes, I mean, certainly, it certainly should or should or be a great idea. I certainly support efforts efforts of as well as the issue of whether or not it's used. used. Um, um, but, but. I just don't I know just whether it'll be successful. I mean, these, I mean, these, these lawsuits have less, 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 less. I don't think they have merit, but whether they have merit seems to be largely irrelevant. All time best fights. I enjoy UFC fights. I have to bring so many good fights that I've forgotten about. There are so many awesome matchups. What would be your all time top five? I don't know if I've ever made a list. Five that I would say look at. I don't know if the best five. Five I would say look at if you've never watched Fedor versus Krokop. You have to see. You need to see Manhoff versus Cyborg because it's the most insane brawl ever. Um, the back elbow from Anderson on Frickland. What's a good year? Oh, uh, Caro versus Diego Sanchez is a favorite of mine. 
Um, you have to watch Hoist versus Sakuraba. Um, you should watch the middleweight tournament that had Arona and Vanderlei and um, Shogun and uh, from Pride and you know Rampage and so forth. That's, a, that's an event you should watch. Um, Fedor versus Noguera, the same event, uh, Rampage versus Kevin Randleman, um, Omar Suloev versus Phil Baroni, Baroni versus Evan Tanner are good ones, Mir versus Sylvia, um, GSP Pen 1, um, GSP versus Gomi, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Pen versus Gomi. Um, GSP versus uh, Trig is, I mean, that's one of those fights. Um, those are some good ones that you definitely want to take a look at. Start there. Any new information on the Reebok deal? We just have to wait and see if it's good or bad for the fighters. Got to wait, but, you know, it's certainly not looking great. Three biggest accomplishments of MMA media, given the role of MMA journalists as watchdogs, what are the three biggest accomplishments of MMA media so far? Um, TRT banning would be a big one. Um, I don't think there's been a whole lot of work on fighter pay, but I think some of the work done about it's been pretty good. Um, what else? What's the third biggest accomplishment I can point to? I don't know. It's a tough one. Third biggest. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I have to think about it. Uh, what are the long-term side effects of the types of steroids Anderson used can cause brittle bones and self-inflicted form of osteoporosis? Do you think there's any relation to the silver breaking his leg and the side effects? Could be. I don't know. Again, it's one of the things where it's like, it's, is this even fair to speculate? Maybe it is. I don't know. I want to make sure everything is hunky-dory on this thing. Someone says it's echoing. Let me switch up the audio here so that we can get better sound. There. Should be a little bit better now. I apologize for any issues. All right. Go back. Reebok. Perhaps this has been discussed before, but what exactly was the uniform? But why exactly was the uniform made mandatory? Do you have any info as to why fighters aren't allowed to continue with their sponsors in addition to Reebok? Because this is a deal the UFC created. Um, listen, the deal makes sense for certain people. The deal makes our partners. The deal makes sense for Reebok. Um, the deal makes sense for UFC. These are, it's, a not, it's, not, it's not hard to understand why they would want to do this. And on some level, it's good for the sport, too, to have that kind of an apparel brand bringing credibility to um, this kind of activity. And I think the brands are – I think it's a great alignment for the brands. You know, Reebok has been doing, I think, what's it called, like the Spartan Race, and they've been getting into CrossFit. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. The only issue with it is it was created without the uh, true input participation and ultimately the consent of the fighters. That's it. It's not like it's – and I don't think that the UFC made it in bad faith. Right? It's not like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get those fighters. I don't think that's the issue. But you know, 
if you're, I always mention this, and, they, and a, obviously divorce is a much more contentious thing, or even between partners. Um, you know, when I signed on to do Spike TV's MMA Uncensored Live, I had someone represent me in creating my contract, even though, look, Spike wants to work with me, I want to work with Spike, we had mutual interest there. And Spike certainly offered a contract, but I had a legal representative come through and say, these are some things we'd like to see changed. Um, and also I have certain other obligations I have to meet. So even if, even like in good faith, they're not going to give you everything you want. You've got to have someone on the other side having some input and having some say, and you got to come to a mutual arrangement. That, that's that's sort of the issue here, and this, that never happened. That whole, that whole piece is missing. So I think that's why there's some consternation about it. It's not just that, well, you didn't get our opinion, but okay, the deal's great. It's like, well, the deal is maybe not what we need because you didn't get our participation. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that some of the things, I think that there might be some, some tweaks to it that are going to happen between either now and then or after it launches. I just don't see that the current structure staying in place forever. I, I have a hard time seeing that. Luke, do you think that UFC MMA could grow much bigger if they only stop promoting themselves as polite sports league and let some racist, homophobic comments go? Um, I would hope not. Someone says, do you think UFC might limit their presence in Vegas? I mean... Maybe, but their base of operations is there. They just built a brand new office there. And not, not just an office, an office, as I understand it, complex. Uh, UFC taking the hard stance and testing through WADA at uh, about 3,000 per fighter. Seems nominal, but needed and less reliant on the commission and more reliant on the organization to the sport. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of that. While it's obvious PEDs are a problem in MMA, I doubt the number is as high as 60 or 70% uh, that some are assuming. Do fans and media do a disservice to the sport when they allow hysteria to reign over logic in regards to how many are juicing? Um, what measurable disservice are they doing? I don't, I mean, fans are going to be fans. They're going to say things that aren't necessarily correct or verified in fact or you know accurately reported I don't I don't know are they really hurting the sport with this I don't know that they are EDUs at 70% according to Tim Kennedy and fight camps Luke do you think it is higher than this probably not higher than that but it might be around that uh, also keep hearing some camps tend to run more hot than others that's true which camps are speculated in this list? See, I don't have any evidence, but I can tell you if you talk to any journalists, there's definitely a few. But I can't come up here and be like, well, I have no evidence, but Legends Tournament. Do you think the UFC would ever be open to a Legends Tournament of sorts? It might add actual stakes to fights that include the likes of Shogun Henderson and the Guerra Brothers. If the UFC insists on doing a 40-plus events a year and they need to keep employing past their prime former champs, well, they don't need to, but they're going to. Why not make it interesting for the fans and raise the stakes for the bracketed tournament? Gonzaga Krokop 2 isn't a fight we demanded, but it's happening. Why not make it a matter of, Why not make it matter a little? 
Here's a list of no-brainer entrants. Shogun, Henderson, Noguera Brothers, Krokop, Gonzaga, Arlovsky, Barnett, Hunt, Mir, Nelson, Overeem, and Bigfoot. See, I think it's a wonderful idea, but I wonder if the guys would bristle at the idea. Like, you can call it a Legends tournament, but Arlovsky's still talking about title shots. Now, guys that are towards the end of their career and kind of know it, your Barnett's, your Mir's, like with 40 events they're just going to put together fights that that fit needs in terms of the schedule i mean the schedule is such a dominating factor we have this many shows we got to do let's plug some holes let's fill some things rather than taking a step back and saying you know what's a really creative way we can tweak the product to your point to make it palatable to fans i think that's missing I mean, again, they had a they had a bomb January, you know, two sick pay-per-view returns, great results on Fox Sports One, great results on Fox. <coughs> Not to say that they're bottoming out, but um, also a lot of that was just making sure they were. Are we giving our partners in this in Vegas this? Are we giving our television partners that? Are we uh, making sure we're upholding our pay-per-view contracts in this capacity? There's a lot of that sort of sense about the business rather than let's take a step back. Let's, 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 let's throw a wrench in the mix and make something really creative. Ben Henderson versus Brandon Thatch. What do you think of the game plan for Benson in this fight? How do you see it actually going? I think that Thatch is going to come forward with heavy offense, especially in tight. And I think that Henderson is going to re respond to that. I don't know how it's going to go. Whenever someone changes a weight class more than 10 pounds, even with 10 pounds, but this is more than 10 pounds. It really is kind of curious to me. Also, you have to wonder, I think um, I'll give credit to Chad Dundas and Ben Folks on the Co-Main Event podcast. They were discussing, you know, part of this, the haste with which that Henderson accepted this bout seems to come as a function of wanting to get those two, two losses, not reversed exactly, but, you know, getting on the right foot again. Uh, and that comes at a cost, you know, moving up to welterweight and taking on a, a hungry aggressive big dude in Brandon Thatch so I don't know how it's going to look exactly I think his game plan really doesn't necessarily change fight to fight I think though the reality for this one is that he's going to be I don't know, at the mercy of Thatch but certainly following his offense for false Brandon Thatch finishes Benton I don't think so but maybe Weidman loses in 2015 if he even competes in 2015 so false more than 10 fighters will be busted for PEDs in 2015. Easily, that's true. More than 10 fights will be canceled due to injury in 2015. I mean, we're already at what, five, six? John Jones finishes Anthony Johnson. True. Kane doesn't fight in 2015. False. Josh Barnett never fights again. False. Connor will get destroyed by Pettis. Probably true. Uh, answer this question last week about what, what to do with Gustafson and Cormier. I will refer you to last week's chat. Luke, what is your impression of George Lockhart? And please compare and contrast him to Dolce in terms of reputation and results. Well, here's what I would say. I saw George years ago 
work with uh, Mike Easton before the Chase BB fight. And Mike had a really successful cut. Um, looked made weight, no problem. Um, and he lost that fight. He didn't look good in the fight, but he wasn't. He never got tired. Now he never usually gets tired, but I mean, you know, this is a big fight for him at the time and things like that. Um, I remember, I remember backstage, or I should say backstage. I remember right after the weigh-ins. Um, I I was with Mike briefly in the hallway or something, and I heard George talking about the things he could eat, and I remember him laying out like a schedule, like in the first hour you will consume this and you will consume it in this manner. In the second hour you will consume this and you will consume this manner. And he had a list all the way up for 24 hours after the weigh-in about about the, the moment he would eat, how much of he would eat, how he would eat it, and uh, and then every hour on the hour like that. I mean, down to the calorie. Down to, I mean, you can't imagine, I mean, super detailed. I'd never seen that before, and I've actually never seen it since. Uh, not just what you, you know, oh, you know, have a gallon of water, but you drink it slowly. No, no, not drink it slowly. Have a cup uh, and a sip with, uh, you know, uh, this kind of protein. Make sure you eat the protein first 15 minutes after the hour. Drink the cup slowly such that you finish it within um, uh, two minutes and 35 seconds. Like And it was and it was completely laid out for him. Only thing it didn't say was chew, you know, detail, detail. I was blown away by that. And I actually I had forgot about George for years, and he sort of resurfaced at the highest level. Frankly, it comes as no surprise to me. Uh, Got to be honest, does not come as a surprise. When I saw what he was doing for Mike Easton, I was like, damn, that is. I didn't know his background, um, but what I saw, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that. Before. I was crazy. Luke, did you read Ali Sapita's work on Fox about cutting weight with Joe Lazan? I did, and I shared. Talk about the Reebok deal, or are are they just saying that? It's a little bit of both. They actually don't know, and they're just saying that. Luke, why is Frank Mir not being considered for analyst commentator anymore? He was a good commentator. I liked him a lot. I thought he was great for WEC. He kind of fumbles in the broadcasting end of it. In other words, he has a great base of knowledge. He, he has enthusiasm, but there's the broadcasting side of things, right? So in other words, uh, and believe me, I stumbled at Glory too. It's hard, man. It's very, very, very hard. Um, I, 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 in fact, I remember I was in Glory and I said, you know, it's been a good night for chalk here in blah, blah, blah in Norfolk. And I was like, as soon as I got off the thing, I was just like, oh, my God, what did I do? You know, uh, it's difficult. But there's part of that that he has trouble with, too, I think. So I understand the issue. I have trouble so much with the interview. But I think he would also often interview guys in the ring, and he'd be huge, and they'd be little. I think that was a bit of a problem. It's actually one I people tell me about all the time for me. I'm not a pro fighter, but there's still that dynamic. Um, and... Uh, and also, he would just sort of fumble a little bit in the broadcasting department. Like, Brian Stan knows a lot. And maybe he doesn't quite know what Frank does. Although he knows, you know, let's say 98% of what Frank does. But on the broadcasting side, is very smooth. Very polished. Um, so maybe that happened. Or maybe they have approached Frank and, you know, Frank's not interested. I don't know. But if you're asking me, like, 
what would I criticize about Frank's commentary? Understanding that I'm terrible at it, and you know, on the ringside reporting thing, I have a long way to go. I would sort of highlight that. Uh, as a 27-year-old male consumer, I do not understand the appeal of Paige Van Zandt. Really? And do not understand why a marquee brand like Reebok would invest in her as a marketing medium. Yes, she's young and blonde, but I think women's sports has plenty of attractive young females. So to me, the market is a bit saturated. Y'all are very confused about how this works. This girl, again, she's not my type, right? But I'm not going to sit here and say she's in any way uh, unattractive. She's an attractive girl, uh, lady who has, I think, a legitimate upside in the sport. I think some people underrate her a little bit because she is pretty. Um, she looks the part, right? She's not just pretty physically, but and then has some sort of like weird body. She has a body that's great for promotional purposes. And again, I think she's better than folks realize. And most importantly, she competed on Fight Pass and had hundreds of thousands of Google searches. Gentlemen, Need to wake up a little bit. She is, if she continues to win, she is going to explode into stardom. And Reebok is getting ahead of that curve. And what's the worst that can happen? They can just drop her if she doesn't. Uh, that's the issue here. She has a face they can put in advertising. She has a look that is appealing to huge swaths of the viewing audience. She might actually be really good. Uh, and if so, it, they are banking on a massive return. It's actually a genius stroke by Reebok. The issue is not about Paige Van Zant getting signed. Like everyone put on my Facebook page, I, I had talked about it. People were like, well, why is Paige Van Zant getting signed? And then you got someone like Joe Lazan who's been in the UFC and won all these fighting out awards and blah, blah, blah. It's like Reebok is right to sign Paige Van Zant. That's not the issue. Like there's, that, that to me is the least controversial thing ever. What is the issue and what does kind of matter is independent of that. It's separate to that. It's whether or not guys are getting a return on that larger Reebok deal. That's a separate thing than whether they want X fighter or Y fighter to be a brand ambassador. You guys can say whatever you want, man. When we put up posts about Paige Van Zant, y'all click on them. Everyone's like, the media, the media is doing this. We're just responding to what you want. And it turns out you want Paige Van Zant. Uh, let's go to the Twitter machine after this one. Why is a guy like Jorge Masvidal not getting a bigger push from the UFC? He's fought guilt to a decision in strike force. He's Latino. He's in a three-fight win streak and lightweight. And most important of all, Usually rise to the occasion and brings an exciting fight. Is this an egregious example of promotional malpractice? Uh, what I would say to you is I thought it was going to be for a while. Then he got the Henderson fight, tried to get the Cerrone fight, couldn't, but then got the Iaquinta fight. I think I like that fight. Iaquinta has a bit of a name. He has significantly improved. He's coming off a totally non-controversial, I won't call it one-sided, but great win over Joe Lazan. Jorge Masvidal can do big things for himself here. It's not the same as beating Benson Henderson if he got the chance. It's not the same as beating Cowboy Cerrone. Those guys have been around longer. And in the case of one, was a title challenger, you know, a title holder, excuse me. Uh, so, no, it's not that level of awesome. But you beat Ally Quinta, you're doing big things for yourself. I agree that it feels like it's been a slow roll with Masvidal for a guy who was, you know, he fought at 170 for a while, too, and, and, and nearly beat Paul Daly. 
um, except for a stupid mistake. But um, he's got ability. He's got real ability everywhere. He can wrestle. He can do jujitsu on top and on bottom. He can strike. He's got good defense. He's got, by the way, if you rock him, he's got great defensive instincts. So there's a lot to like about Jorge Masvidal. What you pointed out, he's Latino. He speaks fluent Spanish. Um, Jorge Masvidal has a bright future if he can beat Ali Aquinta. So I understand the question. I think generally speaking, it's fair. But Iaquint is a great opponent for him, and he can do a lot with it. So there's not a lot of belly aching for me on that part. That Fairfax card is, is baller. That Fairfax card is baller. Uh, let's see. What will be the next evolutionary skill in MMA? Recently, everyone's striking has taken a leap. I think striking has a longer way to go. I think there's going to be a return to mat wrestling or I should say non-cage wrestling. Uh, who do you think wins in Krokop versus Gonzaga too? It might be Krokop. Did you ever give a star rating for UFC 183 aside from Bader Davis? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would give it two and a half. I usually give two and a half. Uh, someone asked if I can give it a letter grade. I would give it a B. Um, is Lawler versus McDonald pretty much set at this point? It seems that way. But I don't really know. So it says maybe Luke Thomas should change the name of this live chat to technical difficulty. Can't remember a show without AV issues. Sorry, y'all. I got basic equipment. I don't want to tell you. It's better stuff coming, but it's it's hard. It's hard. Audio is jacked. I don't know what to tell you. Why shouldn't they allow something like HGH to recover from an injury, but strongly mandated and monitor? I'd be willing to have that debate, but the question is who and 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 how. Uh, in other words, um, is is the commission really going to do that? Is is UFC really going to do that? You know, we have MLB. Look, the specter of combat sports. Part of the reason why it was regulated was one to clamp down on unscrupulous promoters. Another reason was to control the gambling side of it. Another was to protect the health and safety of people because look, they're going to fight in these streets anyway. Let's let's just put some government regulation in this, some basic government regulation, but some government regulation just the same. And so the, the question is, um, you know, if you look at the history of pro wrestling, pro wrestling used to be real and then sort of morphed into something that's like a cartoon version of itself. Uh, but there used to be bets on old pro wrestling, like real matches, you know, uh, but the point being is combat sports just has an air of, is it real? Is it not real? Not so much are the outcomes predetermined, but is there just seediness going on generally? And so you, so while in Major League Baseball, you can have team doctors do things for people. In, 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 in MMA, it, it just it has a feeling of impropriety. So there's not an obvious mechanism you can go to that you would have accessible to you like, you know, there was a big deal about Robert Griffin III's uh, team doctor here about whether or not he had cleared him properly and this, that, and the third. Um, anyway, you get the idea. Uh, I, I I don't think it's a bad idea in theory, but I just wonder about the practical application of it. Everyone's complaining about the audio. I'm sorry, y'all. What can I do? Um, let's answer a few more of these. Technique Talk 45. 
Cycling of Androstein. That's a funny comment. Um, okay, so let's say we don't want a clean sport. Then what? You defend the media quite a bit, but now there are no reasons not to cover what is happening. You knew PEDs are inextricably linked to MMA, but the media did not pursue the stories. Well, yes, they did. What stories are you talking about? Reading the comment sections, there are plenty of knowledgeable and possible stories to what? Plenty of stories to cover, even ones that are not salacious. Again, from the comment boards, many are tired of the runaround, especially from the UFC. The media needs to hold them accountable. Again, if you'd like to specifically point out in what ways we're not getting stories you think are out there, by all means, let me know. I'd be happy to pursue something, but I just think it's a little bit of fantasy going on. How do I ask the promoter to give me good seats when I'm new in the business? I've started an MMA website in Holland and it's getting a lot of views. I have interviews with Dutch fighters and promotions and stuff. How do I get to cover the events and how do I ask the promoter to give me a good seat and stuff? You don't ask them to give you a good seat. You ask them to give you a press seat and you don't complain about the seating unless you have tenure or it's somehow it's so bad it impacts your ability to do your job. That's it. You want a good seat? Make it so that they have no choice but to give you one. Um, let's see. Did you read Sonic's article on PEDs? I haven't had a chance yet. I've been meaning to. Someone says, doesn't it make a bit of sense for the UFC to at least take a bit of responsibility in cleaning up the sport by randomly testing their top 10 fighters in each division? I really find it hard to believe that this task would be impossible for an organization as large as the UFC. If they did this, it would ensure that at least the top fighters in the organization were clean from PEDs. Again, I don't mind them testing the guys. In fact, I think it's probably pretty necessary. But if you really want to get guys to stop, which is, I think, what you're talking about here, it's not a function of testing. It's a function of what incentivization structure are you going to create to get that result? I think that's what you need to think about here. And I'll, all I see is you fail once, six months. You fail twice or nine months or a year, whatever it is. You fail twice, two years. You fail three times. That's it. I, I just think that's totally untenable. I mean, I'm not saying you have to have no punishments if someone fails, but I think that the real focus needs to be on a forward-thinking incentivization structure and we already know fighter pay is not where it could be why not bridge that gap I keep reading how fighters at a disadvantage because there's no union or an alley act for mma if those are so good for fighters why don't we see fighters pushing for them because when you see sports unionized it typically happens on the backs of already experienced organized labor there is no effort in that regard here. Baseball wasn't organized by a bunch of players who got together and said, hey, let's fix things. It was legitimate organized labor, experienced organized labor, getting involved and convincing players to do it. And by the way, that's a big part too. They had to convince baseball players to do it. Now it seems sort of like, you know, uh, obvious or, you know, an expected thing. Uh, that wasn't always the case. Luke, what do you think about the UFC bringing in UFC champions or former champions as guest commentators? Look, here's the deal with commentators. I think there's a worry that if you bring in guys, even, you know, so for example, champions have to do a lot of media. So they're a little bit more media savvy. They've had cameras on them. They've had microphones in their face. They're a little bit better about communicating ideas, about drawing from experience, about 
analyzing tape. You know, they've, they've done that in their own career. The issue is commentary is a separate, dude, you guys have no idea. It is hard. It is very, very hard. And to have a conversation between two guys, I mean, a lot of times you hear one guy talk and then another guy talk, and there's not a lot of blend between them. Uh, it's hard to get that blend. And then you bring in a third guy who may not have that. UFC had done it before. They had brought in Couture. I thought he was good, actually. Um, they had brought in, I think it, for a time, it would be Phil Baroni. Baroni was actually funny. Uh, even Pride, I think, brought in Baroni for a while. So it's fun as a thing to mix up now and again, but it also kind of creates a bit of a weird flow. Should the UFC test at least their top five fighters in every division? Again, it's not about just testing. It's about what are you going to do if these guys fail? What incentivized structures are you going to give these guys so that if they're on it now, they stop? Or that if you have you get them early, that they never stop? That's another part. It's like a lot of these guys are doing it old. But what if you get the guys early in their careers? Look, sign up with this voluntary year-round testing. Have your contract be better. Have more money through Reebok. Really take advantage. Because even if you're a nobody, if you're a guy who says, I'm going to do, let's say, let's say you've had one fight in the UFC. It's your second fight. And you, okay, I'm going to volunteer to do year-round testing. If you get stuff uh, on your Reebok uniform, you're getting things that a lot of other guys haven't signed up for, maybe. And so you automatically have an additional appeal that you didn't have before. Hard to get sponsors when you're in the UFC, but when all the sponsors have been eliminated and you're one of the few windows in there, seems to me that might be a, a, a possible way of not just augmenting your pay, but augmenting your worth to advertisers. So I asked him about the Glory Show last Friday. Uh, how would you rate the event? I thought it was a uh, B plus, a, maybe even A minus. And is there uh, similar testing for PEDs? It's commission testing, similar to what you get. Um, in fact, I saw the guy who I once had a run in who ran the Virginia Commission. Uh, it's similar to what you'd see for Bellator whenever they go to any other place. Uh, let's get one more, two more maybe. Uh, during UFC 183 broadcast, said Jordan Meehan fought Rory Mack when he was around 16. What do you think was the difference as far as Rory being a contender and Jordan not quite being there? Is it as simple as Rory going to TriStar? Could be. Um, Rory has also fought less. He doesn't have quite as much experience. hasn't quite taken the same beating that Jordan Meehan has. There's also that function. I mean, I think these guys who start like Aaron Riley, who fight at like 16, you're gonna you're you're guaranteeing an early exit from the game, man. You're guaranteeing it. Those guys take a tremendous beating. Uh, it seems like Joe Daddy Stevenson, same thing. Uh, and then someone asks about the win bonus for Josh Berkman. I was wondering, in the case of Lombard, this should end up as a no contest, correct? Correct. Does that mean he gets stripped of his win bonus? I don't know. Uh, I can follow up on that. I, I would like to see that happen, is that you don't just get your win bonus, but your opponent gets your win bonus. Do they pay the win bonus to the clean fighter instead? No, because you didn't win. Uh, I think if these guys are getting paid a, a nine-month, call it three, when most fights are twice a year, suspension, it's not as big of a punishment as doubling your pay when you're a guy like Lombard. I, I completely agree. I'm not saying there shouldn't be financial penalties for losing, uh, or not for losing, for testing positive. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be you know, considerations about suspension. I think we can have that conversation. But let's open up the conversation. And again, I'm gonna, the last thing I'm going to mention Let's drive home 
creating an incentivization structure. Let's make testing and transparency just as valuable, if not more valuable, than not doing transparency, not doing that year-round testing, and maybe leaving things up to chance with steroids. Well, you still might get called over here too, by the way. That's the funny part about it. If you have a separate program, a voluntary program, um, that doesn't mean you're not gonna get caught here, maybe not as rigid, but you can still get caught there. So you have all kinds of extra problems that could happen. All right, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. You can email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Um, there is an MMA beat tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, coverage of, uh, you know, World Series of Fighting and Bellator and, and um, UFC. And my wife's out of town, so I'll be covering the UFC event. So until next time, uh, enjoy the fights and of course, stay frosty.